0: Good morning, how are you? Good. So we're going to do things just a little bit differently. If I haven't met you, I'm still Andrew. I still lead the team here and it's really great to welcome you. Um, We're going to uh, talk for a little while and then uh, you'll be even more, more reassured there's a cap on how long I can speak for because we're going to share communion together. And it just felt right partly because how God was leading us. If you're not used to this, welcome. We just try and let God be in charge of our time together. No other agenda. We just felt God was leading us in those moments before to hear some words of encouragement. And wasn't that good? And if you're you're going through some tough times, you've heard words about perseverance. I hope you've heard words that are real. Not pretending, not putting a gloss on it, as we prayed for this amazing, lovely man, Anthony. You know, we know the road is tough. We know when we become Christians that we become more aware. Of challenge, not less aware, more aware of challenge. That tells us that it's real. So hopefully you're hearing that this morning. And then, and then but also because communion, gathering around the Lord's table, gathering around to share bread and wine, is the, is the meal that Jesus has given to us, that God has given to us to, to be an expression of our unity. To be an expression of of all in together. And so at the end of our our time when I speak, we'll finish um, with sharing communion, sharing bread and wine. And then we'll let that lead us into a little bit of ministry, a little bit of prayer, prayer time. And uh, we welcome everyone uh, to the Lord's table. It's not how much faith you have. It's who you're putting your faith in that counts. And so we welcome you to come and to share. Uh, The bread doesn't have any gluten in it. The wine doesn't have any alcohol in it. But as I like to say, I don't think it's uh, wrong to say it's full of Jesus. You understand the spiritual sense in which I'm saying that. Great. So how are we going to get there? So why don't you turn to your neighbor and tell your neighbor very briefly, what's the most generous thing that anyone has ever done for you? the most generous thing that anyone has ever done for you. What comes straight into your mind? You've not got long. It's gonna have to be really quick. okay i said we were going to have to be quick so i hope you've uh, i hope you've had a chance to share just a little bit of a story of uh Of generosity. So we're we're all in it together. That's what we're talking about. It's our, our second vision theme as a church. We're all in with God. We're all in together. We're all in for the world. That's what we're grouping our life under. That's where we're prioritizing at the moment. So I don't know what all in together means for you. I don't know whether this picture is reflective for you. That's United in Generosity. That's our title. Here's the picture. Is this you? That's a picture of the blinds. Last weekend we went on a booze cruise. Our children couldn't believe it. It was for a wedding. We were buying all the, all the drink for a wedding, great deal, in, in France. We were in one storm, we got blown back. Um, really pleased that we're not in the storm last night, being blown back from France. So what does it mean for you? Well, we're looking at the, the book in of Ezra as that amazing trailer, that great trailer. Um, showed and, and talked about. We're, we're thinking about this event in, in God's story with his people, with us. Um, all those years ago, we're thinking about uh, the late 450s before Christ was born. And it's, the, it's a key, Ezra is a key sort of kind of chapter ending or chapter beginning kind of book. In the Old Testament, there's a number of things I was sharing a couple of weeks ago that that change at this point in our story as God's people. So I was mentioning about a shift from the focus being on how leaders respond to God to how the people respond to God, how we as the people of God uh, respond to Him. There's another big shift, which is from uh, the oral tradition. So our story as God's people was passed for, for years and years by an oral tradition. And anyone who knows anything about cultures, where that happens, there's a real precision in how things get passed on. But this Ezra marks a bit of a shift into, into written authority. We become people of the book. And Tim was talking a little bit, a, a, a little bit about that last week. This group of God's people had been, if you remember, exiled in Babylon because they'd not been obedient to God's will. They'd not been fulfilling God's purposes for us in being a blessing to all nations and being a blessing to others. And there, after centuries of God's grace, after centuries of God's forgiveness, after centuries of God's warning, God calls them back to himself through the discipline of being taken into exile in Egypt, Uh, sorry, in Babylon. And then at the beginning of Ezra, we hear how God moves. God moves King Cyrus's heart. God is in charge of all world events. And he moves Cyrus's heart to send his people back to Jerusalem. And we're talking and thinking about what then united them in this new chapter as they're asking themselves... Are we still able to fulfill God's purposes? Are we still able to be a people who share God's blessing with all nations? What does that look like in this new chapter of life? And... We thought about, two weeks ago at the beginning of this series, how they began with worship, didn't we? As we think about our roof projects, we're thinking about physical building and and all that God is is doing in us. We noticed that before they rebuilt any of the temple, before they put any stone upon stone to rebuild this expression, this place of God's presence, they started by building an altar They gathered around worship first and foremost. And we thought of the significance of that for us as we come to put a roof on, as we come to do some other physical building things. How important it is that we're gathered around worship. Again, a lovely opportunity for us to share communion this morning. And then last week, Tim was thinking about what it means to be gathered around God's mission, to be obedient to to God's word, both spoken and written, and to have God's mission as the agenda, God's mission to be what unites you, not your own agenda, and how that binds together and glues together. Well, today, thirdly, I want to talk about the the glue of generosity, the theme of generosity that flows right the way through the book of Ezra. And is a glue, was a glue for them as God's people, as they were surrounded by enemies, as they had an amazing rebuilding work to do. And it's the glue for us as well, as God's people, if we want to be all in together with what God has for Trinity in the years ahead the theme flows throughout the whole book, but we're just looking in in Ezra chapter 8. It's quite a long chapter, so I'm not going to read it all, but if you want to just open it up now or switch it on, just quickly allow yourself, there's some Bibles at the front. I'm going to need to move quite quickly, but we'll just highlight some things in Ezra chapter 8 that pick up on all three of our, our themes. So just at the beginning, uh, the chapter starts with a list of people who travelled with Ezra back from Babylon, back to, uh, back to Jerusalem. It echoes the list in chapter 2 of Ezra as well, and it's significant. Let's just put the verses up. Please, thanks. There we go, the first verses. So verses 1, one to 3. These are the family heads and those registered with them who came up with me from Babylon, says Ezra, during the reign of King Artaxerxes of the descendants of Phinehas, Gershom, of the descendants of Ithamar, Daniel, of the descendants of David, Hattush, of the descendants of Shechaniah, of the de- descendants of Parosh, Zachariah. Now, there's a whole list that carries on. There's over a 1,000 people named. Sadly, that's just the men. And so there were about 5,000 that travel about 900 miles together in a caravan from Babylon To Jerusalem. What's significant about the names on on that list is it highlights priests, the priestly families. So in those names that I've just read are descendants of David. And again, Ezra is just saying, can you see how God is reconstituting his people back in Jerusalem? Moving on, verse 15, skipping through the list of people who travelled, Ezra writes, um, writes this, I assembled them at the canal that flows towards Ahava, and we camped there three days. When I checked among the people and the priests, I found no Levites there. Now again, Ezra is picking out the Levites, because in the Old Testament, the Levites are the ones who carry all the items that you need for the temple. They are the families responsible for all the items in the temple. So again, we're being pointed to the fact that this is a reconstitution, a putting back together of God's people in their mission. Moving on, verse, uh, verse 21 There by the Ahavar canal, I proclaimed a fast so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask Him for a safe journey for us and our children with all our possessions. So Ezra here. Is again pointing to worship, and pointing to prayer in this journey. Five thousand people, nine hundred miles through the desert, surrounded by enemies, every possible thing as a, as a barrier to them. Boy, did they need to persevere. Verse 22, he says, He says this, I was ashamed to ask the king. What he means by that is, I would have been ashamed if I had asked the king. So I didn't ask the king for soldiers and horsemen to protect us from enemies on the road because we had. Is this not working? Crackly. Snap, crackle, and pop. Something like that. How's that? Is that better? Oh, good. Okay. So he was ashamed to ask the king. He didn't for soldiers and horsemen. If you read Nehemiah, Nehemiah did. Next book, Nehemiah comes along. But he doesn't because we had told the king, so he's told the king, the gracious hand of our God is on everyone who looks to him. But his great anger is against all who forsake him. So what Ezra is saying, with this rebuilding work, we've told you that we can trust in God And so we will trust in God. We're not going to ask for soldiers. We're not going to ask for horsemen. We're not going to ask for symbols of human power. Verses 25 and 27, if you want to read on. And I weighed out to them the offering of silver and gold. This is all the things that they've brought. And the articles that the king, that's Cyrus, his advisors, his officials, and all Israel present there, and then Darius later as well, all Israel present there had donated for the house of our God. I weighed out to them 650 talents of silver, silver articles weighing 100 talents, 100 talents of gold, 20 bowls of gold valued at 1,000 um, dariaks and two fine articles of polished bronze, as precious as gold. This is what they had given freely. And what they took with them for the rebuilding of the temple. Verse 31 32, if you just want to flick on. With relief, they arrive in Jerusalem. On the twelfth day of the first month, we set out from the Ahava Canal to go to Jerusalem. The hand of our God was on us and he protected us from enemies and bandits along the way. So we arrived in Jerusalem where we rested three days. And the last verse, verse 35, just to pick out. Then the exiles who had returned from captivity sacrificed burnt offerings to the God of Israel. 12 bulls for all Israel, 96 rams, 77 male lambs, and as a sin offering, 12 male goats. All this was a burnt offering to the Lord. Now I don't know what you make of all the uh, animals, anyone who's a vegan here or a, ve- a vegetarian. But what we're being told, aren't we, is about a precision, about a care, and about a worth-ship. A value put on the relationship with God. And just from those verses, I hope, and I apologize if picking them out that quickly hasn't been the most helpful for you, but I hope the flavor of what you get is of a people who were united in worship, united in the belief that God would provide for them if they prayed and they got on their knees. They didn't take horsemen or soldiers 900 miles. 5,000 people through hostile territory. They were united in God's mission, weren't they? Clearly. And they were united also in, in generosity. Generosity is a glue that flows through. You probably know that, that generosity is, is good for you. Um, uh, the US Psychology, Journal of Psychology did a, a little study and found that, uh, that if you're generous, you will, you will live longer. What we are thankful, here's a quote from it, what we are thankful for is important. But what we give others to be thankful for is even more important. Again, in a study in the States, over 10 years, men who were generous in giving their time voluntarily had death rates two and a half times lower than people who didn't. And generosity, clearly the world would tell us and knows, is not about the the amount or the value of what is given, but it's the level of sensitivity it reflects to other people's needs. But, but friends, as we gather around God's table today and as we reflect on what it means for us as Trinity, as we go into a new chapter in our life together on what generosity means for us, three things, just briefly, which I want to just share. The first is, do you realise that generosity is a glue for God's people and needs to be a glue in this church family? Because fundamentally it focuses us away from ourselves ourselves. And on to God. The the text is is clear in Ezra that all of the giving that the people did, that amazing quantity of wealth and material that was going to go into the rebuilding of the temple, was done freely. When we maybe read the word tithe in the Old Testament, we think of something which is being done as as a sense of the appropriate amount, a sense of duty. These are free will offerings, we're told. And their generosity is inspired and motivated, isn't it, by God's prior generosity, God's prior provision to them. They had the generosity of all of creation. They had the generosity of the covenant. They had the generosity of God's law for them. They had the generosity of all of the promise of the world to come. We have Jesus and the promise of eternal life. And so generosity to each other in this community and beyond expresses a recognition of what God has done for us and who God is for us. That's the, the first thing about generosity being a glue. The second thing I hope you realize, and it's pretty obvious, isn't it, is that being generous, living generously, secondly, focuses us on the needs of others. The generosity in Ezra clearly flowed in both directions. It was both to God in, in their acts of worship, but clearly it would also have been in practical provision. 5,000 people, 900 miles rebuilding of Jerusalem and Jesus teaches us doesn't he that the way we express our our faith that the way we know our faith is is real is in how we treat others Matthew 25 31 when we people ask Jesus you know when did we see you sick, go in prison or go and visit you and Jesus said the king will reply I tell you the truth whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine you did for me So generosity expresses the first commandment, to love the Lord our God, heart, mind, soul. And it expresses the second commandment, to love others as ourselves. The third thing, of course, that that generosity does as a glue, it did in the the time of Ezra and it does for us, is it it builds up faith. Do you realise that? It builds up faith in us when we are generous When we give above and beyond of ourselves. I said already, Ezra didn't ask for horsemen and soldiers because he was putting his trust in God's provision. We live in a culture deluded by self-sufficiency. And generosity, especially when we really notice it, when it, it costs is a practical expression of faith in God and his provision. There's a kind of leverage. You know that a lever is something which will achieve more than the amount of effort you put in. The outcome is greater if you leverage in a situation. There's a a kingdom economy, a God economy. When we are generous with whatever we can be generous with, God has this amazing way of building it. We're cautious. We're not a people who practice and preach a prosperity gospel. God is not a a slot machine. If I put this amount in and pull the handle, then God will automatically deliver for me this amount. It doesn't work like that. We will not often see the fruits actually of our own generosity, this side of being with God in heaven. And the value of the peace that he gives us, for example... Is far greater than the value of any palace we might aspire to. But there is a kingdom economy that we are generous, when we're generous with what we have in our hand, we can see amazing fruits. And generosity builds up faith in us as a people. Again, the Roof Project, we're reflecting on it, aren't we? The fact that between all of us, God has freed us to give over half a million pounds together. We went up 300,000 pounds in three weeks. And that was not solely because of just one or two big gifts. That was us. Doesn't that build our faith, I hope, in God's provision and God's desires For us. But with that comes responsibility. God is not putting a new roof on this building. The tenders are out. We're waiting for them to come back. Pray. If you haven't given yet, please give. We're not yet quite at our target. But God is not going to re roof this building just for us to stay warm and dry, is He? There is a responsibility, there's a calling. But generosity does breed faith. So friends, to come into land and to give you something to think about as we come to communion. As I speak here about the glue of generosity in God's people and in us going forward. In us being all together. Let's just put this slide up, Jonathan, of some practical ways... In which I think generosity can express itself. It's, uh, it's slide 19. Thanks, Jonathan. The first thing about living generously is seeing abundance, not scarcity. Now, this is a spiritual work. This is a work of the Holy Spirit in us. Whatever our personal circumstances, to see abundance of God who creates all things. Not be living in a sense of scarcity. The second is the gifts of greatest value about which and with which we need to be most generous are not the material ones, are they? They are care, attention, affection, appreciation, love. Do people know us as being thoughtful? Are we generous in thoughtfulness? I think in our culture the way we use power now you might not feel that you have particular power but my sense would be that pretty well everyone in this room has influence and has some measures of power in relation to others some of us have considerable power in our places of work in our families in other networks and Where God calls, where the Holy Spirit works in us, I think most actually often as leaders certainly is in the way we exercise power. Are we being generous in the way we relate to others around us, particularly in our workplace teams? As parents... The exercise of power in our families. Would would the word generous be able to be used of me, of us, in our relationships? Time. Our greatest commodity, isn't it? Are we generous with our time? Are we interruptible? I had some 360 feedback once as a vicar, and the bit that really struck me, because I knew it was absolutely true, was the person who said, "The problem with Andrew is whenever he's talking to you, he's looking over your shoulder for the next conversation." I was really cross about that, because I wanted to say, "Hang a second, I've got 15 people to speak, you know da." But they were completely right. When I talk to you, do you believe that in that moment you are the most important person that I'm talking to? Do my children know that they have quality time, etc. What would the Holy Spirit say to you about time? And then the last one, yes, comes to possessions and generosity is expressed. And we'll just leave this slide for a moment. Generosity is expressed through offering back to God what we have in our hands. We'll just leave that for a moment as we prepare ourselves to share communion together and invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us. How, God, might you want to release a new spirit of generosity in us as your people? We see in the story of Ezra, we see in the story of those who've gone before us, how generosity was so key to you gluing them together and so key to your mission, so key to the rebuilding work. And as you continue to build here, We pray for a flow, a release of generosity. as we come to share communion God and we have this list in front of us these words on the screen I guess there will be many of us who come to you in a moment of confession we we know the truth God that we have not been generous in all circumstances and thank you God that you do not provoke and prompt you do not draw attention for the sake of leaving us weighed down by guilt and shame but you you prompt us to set us free and so as any of us in this room confess to you now confess to you jesus for any selfishness for any lack of generosity Come, Holy Spirit, with your love and forgiveness. And we're also prompted, of course, to reflect again as we come towards the end of our time together, God, on your generous self giving in Jesus. You humbled yourself. You lived here on earth for us. You died on a cross for us. You gave of yourself completely. And we want to be people who will live in response. That we would have generous hearts that reflect the perfect generosity of you, God. Find us together as your people here at Trinity and beyond with this generous heart.